So last time we were in Philippians chapter 4, we were seeing that there was a fight, okay? Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And then here comes the beseeching. I beseech Yodius and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Uh, Y'all ought to have a right perspective, so help. I mean, Yodius and Syntyche, they used to work together in the ministry. Now they're working on each other, and, and uh, now everybody's caught up in their drama. Let's help these ladies get this sort. Let's help them get it sorted out. And so, what we saw last time in Philippians chapter four is self, your self rights, right? Who you are, that ought to be subordinated. Self always comes second to the mind of the Lord. And the call was that we need to help each other stay accountable to that. So, Yodius and Syntyche, who used to be serving in ministry, now they're fighting with each other. What's happening now is the whole church is getting sidelined. So get this down. Anytime ministry is on the line, Satan is always working to make sure that you see that your rights were violated, that you have a reason to just burn it all down. You get upset because you're not willing to be wronged. Come on, who are you? (laughs) If Jesus was willing to take crucifixion from creation, you and I, we can be wronged, can't we? We can die to self, we can die to our rights. We can forbear, sometimes we just need to do that, or we can forgive if that's what it takes. Because if Christ can hang on the cross of Calvary and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, you can forgive your brother, your sister in Christ. See, this is the problem with drama. It spreads. It's like a hurricane. It just sweeps up everything that comes into its path. Your mess ends up trashing the whole place. So let's look at verse 4 and let's get our focus right. That's the first point for study. We need a right focus, and that'll take the the energy out of the hurricane of a person's personal conflict. Uh, We want to deplete the drama, and the result needs to be the focus of those around you, right? If you end up on your frustrations instead of on what you have to rejoice in the Lord over, uh, what is your response going to be? What's the result going to be? Do you, when conflict comes, do you get bitter or do you get better? Do you get grumpy or do you get joyful? You get to make a decision about that. Something happened to me. Something came at me. I don't like it. It was bad. I didn't enjoy it. Am I going to rejoice or am I going to to lose my stuff? Here it is, verse 4. Here's the command. Rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. And again, I say rejoice. Not sometimes, not just in good times, always. The command is to rejoice. That is so powerful. We sing about it all the time, don't we? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So weak. Again I say rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Unless somebody did me wrong. And then they got what's coming to them, and they'll rue the day they ever mess with me, but the rest of the time, rejoice, rejoice. <laughs> Paul gives us the same command. We, saw, we already saw this in chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it's safe. You need to be reminded, rejoice in the Lord. That's how this thing works. Brother or sisters down the mouth, 
You don't just roll up on them like, you idiot, you're not rejoicing. No, we remind them, right? It's not grievous. We need to encourage one another. See, when we're living life, sometimes we go through trials, we go through distractions, and we forget who we are and what we have in the person of Jesus Christ. So in every chapter, Paul has been crying out to us. The Word of God has cried out to us, to you and I, to keep our Christian focus correct. You've got so much to rejoice over. Did any, how many this morning can honestly say, man, I came into the house of the Lord rejoicing this morning? Don't lie. I mean, how many came in rejoicing? I mean, a lot, I know a lot. Of, I know most of you probably did, right? You came in rejoicing. We, gotta for, we can never forget that's the call of God over our lives. Distractions happen. Dysfunction happens. And we forget. We forget to rejoice. So the Word just keeps reminding us. You know what ought to get you stoked? I mean, you've got so much to rejoice over. You know what ought to just get you singing praise? Every time the gospel's preached, that's your next blank. We saw it in verse, in verse, in verse 18, chapter 1. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. What's my response? And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Anytime you see a life that was lived, the testimony of that life, it was lived out for Christ, that's a point for rejoicing. That's chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice. If my, the whole of my life could just be poured out and live in Christ, I joy, I rejoice. We ought to rejoice in each other. Look down in verse 28. I send him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Even though I'm held up at the end of a chain, I mean, I'm in prison, I'm in the hole. Just the fact that my brother can come and hang with the body brings me joy. I'm rejoicing. So we rejoice in each other. We rejoice in the righteousness that we have in Christ. Watch this. This is so... I mean, if you didn't have anything that would make you shout for joy, this ought to be it. Chapter 3, verse 3, we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, watch this now, and have no confidence in the flesh. In the flesh. My flesh, all it was ever going to do was let me down. All it was ever going to do was get me in trouble, but that's not who I am. My identity is not in my flesh. It's in Christ. So I rejoice in Him. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. In chapter 4, what we're finding out is that we can always, what's the time frame for rejoicing? Rejoice in the Lord always, right? Always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in what times? Which times do we, we rejoice in? All times, right? And you can even make a play on the word. In what ways? Always. I mean, that's not... It means all times, but in all, I mean, all we, all we can ever do if we're thinking right is just rejoice. That's, it's just that great. You know, some people read the Bible here. They read scriptures like this, and they think, well, Paul has never seen the mess that I call my life. If Paul just knew what I was going through, he wouldn't be saying that. He's so full of it. Okay, now wait. Why can't you rejoice in the Lord always? Because Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why would you stop rejoicing in him if your personal circumstances changed? Remember where Paul was writing this from. He's in prison. He's in the hole. He's at the end of a chain. And, and he's encouraging the church to rejoice all way. 
And what happened? Now you can't? No, the command is rejoice. So no whining about how your personal rights have been violated. No whining about how Syntyche is treating you. Rejoice. That's the command. Psalm 5 verse 11 says, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. So how can I rejoice in Christ? How can I know that he is over every aspect of my life? How can I know in what and in how, and how right? How can I rejoice? How can I know these things? First John chapter 1 verse 4 gives you the clue. He says, in these things write, I, write, in these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. God gave you his word. It was written so that you would know what to rejoice over. It was, ri- it was written to fill you with joy. So you want, if you want to have a joyful life and know all the reasons for rejoicing, you want to study this book cover to cover. You want to find out why and how to rejoice. Find out everything that it says about you. And remember, the command to rejoice is coming from a man at the end of a chain. He has been, I mean, just read about the sufferings of Paul in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this man is, rejoice, rejoice always. Again, right? Don't miss this. Again, I say, rejoice. How could he say that in the midst of that kind of suffering? Well, it's because he knew his Bible, that's why. He knew the truth that most Christians refuse to see anytime they're in personal pain. I mean, everything is, man, I love God, praise Jesus, everything's good. Uh, You can't steal my joy until one thing wrong happens to them, and then all bets are off. I mean, my lips dragging the ground, and everything's, there's no hope. God has failed. Are you kidding me? No, Paul knew the truth, and here it is. It's a common passage. But in the moment of pain, we're so tempted to forget it. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that what things work together for good? All things, the good, the bad, the ugly, all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. You say, well, you don't know how Syntyche treated me. My rights have been violated. I have to war. I can't rejoice. Man, we're, we're we're so quick to forget, aren't we? Don't doubt what God is doing, even in the midst of that drama. Just rejoice. You're in good company. Didn't the world violate Christ's rights at the cross of Calvary? And yet, he esteemed us better than himself, took our sin, our rebellion against the Father to the cross of Calvary, was reckoned that. He stood in our place before Almighty God, and the wrath of the Father was poured out on the Son so that we could find forgiveness of sin. And the minute that man kit treats me bad, it's on like Donkey Kong. I'm going to burn this place down because it's all about me. I'm going to, you know, come on. But that's how we're wired in the flesh, isn't it? We have no confidence in the flesh. But I'm going through, I'm going through a rough time right now. You don't understand, Pastor. My car is crap. Don't doubt what God's doing. Rejoice. He'll get you where you need to go. I'm going through a lot of pain and heartache. You don't know how she treated me when she dumped me. No, don't doubt what God was doing. You didn't need that. You, I'm not going to call names. You didn't need her in your life. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, right? Your joy in the Lord, that's your strength, Nehemiah 8.10. That's going to that's gonna get you through your rough time. 
See, we, we need to know our Bible, don't we? See, when you know what God is doing in your life, how he's working it all together, the good, the bad, and the ugly, he's going to work it all together for your good because you are called by his name, because you love him. You've read the end of the book. You know how it all ends. You know that his power, resurrection power, is at work in your life right now because you read the book. You know now you can take anything that life throws at you because you've got God's promises. He's going to take you through it. God is working it. You say, well, you don't know how bad it is right now. Don't forget how big God is right now. Amen. He will work what things? All together for your good. I mean, it's all things, right? He works all things, all those things, all together for our good. When you see how God's working, you can have confidence that he will work in your life tomorrow. You may be going through a rough time. Be praying for the Staub family. Uh, they're going through a rough time right now. Gary Staub passed away. I believe it was uh, Thursday night. Is that right, Erica? Thurs Friday night? It was Friday night. Uh, Gary passed away. Uh, Erica is Gary's daughter. Um, how many know, just out of this group, know Gary Staub? So there's a number in this room. Um, if you've got a testimony of how God used Gary Staub in your life, would you just shoot me two or three lines? I need that. We're going to be hosting and holding the memorial service for Gary here this Saturday. Uh, we don't have quite all the details for that worked out yet, obviously, but um, if you can help to be a part of just remembering how God used his life, and it's all been worked together for good. Is it, for me, it, what a privilege. I mean, uh, God used Gary mightily in my life just via the fact that, uh, just via the, the investment that he made in my parents. And so what's going to happen, even in the midst of something like this, a great man has gone on to be with the Lord, God will even use a thing like this to draw countless people closer to him. Uh, there will be countless people that will be forced to reflect on their life, their own relationship with the Lord. Here's a man that God used mightily, and God takes him home. Well, we don't sorrow as the lost world sorrows. We can actually rejoice in a life, a testimony of how great our God is, and the proof is in this man. Uh, he's going to work it all together for good. Amen? Uh, faith, faith believes that. Faith says that. When you know God's at work, well, now you can have confidence to face anything. You need to rejoice. Why? Because Luke 10, 20, if you're saved, your name's written in heaven. You know my name is not written on one building in this entire city? I mean, doesn't Kansas City know I'm somebody? Apparently not. Apparently, I'm nobody in this city, but my name is written in heaven. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, somebody ought to be shouting. Like, are you awake? Do you know your name is written in heaven? My Bible tells me that, that my name is graven on, God's, on, on the palms of God's hands. I mean, how amazing is that? And you can't, well, I had a bad day. Oh, <laughs> okay. I missed the perspective. Rejoice, because according to James 1 and 1 Peter 4, every problem in your life is producing the character of Christ in you. Thank you for that hard time. Lord, thank you that I just saw through that hard You're enough. Rejoice because Galatians 5.22 tells you joy is the fruit of the Spirit. I got no joy. Ooh. That's a big alarm, right? I mean, I got no, you got no joy? Well, do you have the Spirit of God indwelling your life or not, right? Rejoice. This is a short list, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. If you've got joy, that's going to focus you. Look at verse 5. A, a joyful focus 
will produce two things in your life. We're going to look at moderation and dependence. Verse 5 says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. I know Christ is coming. His reward is in His hand. I know I'm going to have to give an account before the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, give, I'm going to have to give a reason. I'm going to have to explain my stewardship when I meet the Lord Jesus Christ. So I need to be moderate. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Moderation, moderation is temperance in your life that will produce, according to verse 5, a right testimony. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Do you have a good testimony? People ought to look at you and say, man, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about that person. They don't fly off the handle all the time. They don't act like a fool when things don't go their way. There's just something different about that person. I need to find out why. On the other hand, if you're given to things that, in other words, if you're not moderate, then even your good ends up being evil spoken of. I mean, your life, the Lord is at hand. Your life, your time here is short. Uh, Gary, you got to recognize, Pastor Staub hasn't beat us to glory by much, okay? We're right, you get, we're right behind him, right? So if mosquitoes catch a buzz after feasting on you, and the whole bar greets you by name when you come in, eh, not moderate. If your idea of a light lunch is a side of beef, eh, you're not moderate. If every time you open your mouth, all the, ro- all the eyes in your vicinity roll back in their heads, eh, you're not moderate. If your most earnest conversation is, but baby, I love you, eh, you're not moderate. See, then your moderation isn't known by anyone no sign of the wonder-working power of God in your life. It's not evident. So your testimony is worthless. And you probably won't be leading anyone to Christ anytime soon. So a right focus will produce moderation. It'll produce temperance. You'll have a, a, a testimony of faith in God. Why? Because here's the key. Get this down. You know God's enough. Whatever you're facing, God's enough. Because God's work in your life, right? That is your fix. God himself is your satisfaction. He's enough. I don't need anything else. I've got God. I don't have to obsess. I have him. So what else could I desire? The flesh is like, well, you know, I have a list of things we could desire. Well, the flesh is lame. Don't listen to that. Of course, you have things that you desire in the flesh. Uh, the flesh is just trying to get you messed up. We have no what in the flesh? I have a list. Shut up, man. We got no confidence in you. This word translated as moderation in your King James Bible is also translated as gentle and patient. Why? Well, you know, while Euodius and Syntyche are working on each other, you're full of joy. You're gentle. You're patient. You know what Asaph knowed in Psalm 73. He could be patient. I mean, the wicked are getting away with God knows what. He's tempted to get frustrated. Instead, he says in verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. God... I was tempted, but I recognize I'm full. You're enough. You're all that I need. So I, 
while somebody else is going to be losing their mind, I got you. A right focus also produces dependence. Look at verse 6. It says, be careful for nothing. Wouldn't it be great if you could say, man, I don't worry about nothing, right? Wouldn't that be awesome if you could say that? I don't worry about anything. If you could say that, what a liar you would be. Yet that's exactly what God expects from us, isn't it? Be careful. Don't worry about anything. People today are so stressed. They're worried about all kinds of things, things that can't even happen to them. They'll worry about that too. Will she dump me? Does my boss like me? Am I going to get a raise? Will I be able to make next month's car payment? Will my precious car get scratched in the, on, the, on the street at Midtown? Will I pass tomorrow's test? Well, did you study? You know whether or not you'll pass tomorrow's test. So think about it. I mean, what do you really need? I mean, what do you really need out of life? Don't be a worry wart. You're a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So what else do you need in your life? I mean, what are you going to really, I mean, really, you, of all people, what are you going to worry about? Have you read the end of the book? Now, just because you're daddy, Jehovah God, right, he's the owner of the entire universe, do you think he's just going to give you anything that you think you want? I mean, you actually are in control of everything, God, so I'm, I'm set. Like Chet, whoever Chet is, that's one blessed dude. I'm set. No, he's not going to give you just whatever you want in life. My 10-year-old kid comes to me and says, Dad, give me the keys to the car. I'm going to, you know, I want to go out and buy some beers and have a party with my butt. Eh, no, that's not going to happen. Why? Because I'm a jerk? No, I love my kids. That never happened. Now, how do you avoid being a worry wart? Okay, well, first thing you do is pray, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, I mean, according to James 4, 3, that's how you ask. And prayer is awesome because it forces you to submit to the Word, to the will of God, right? Prayer aligns you with the mind of God. But prayer is also awesome because it makes you intimate with God. When you see your lack... That will force you to realize you're not set like Chet. It'll force you to draw nigh to God, and then according to the promise of Scripture, He draws nigh to you. And so prayer helps you get God's heart. Uh, We need prayer. And then you want to ask, right? Let your requests be made known. You ask with thanksgiving. You can give thanks because you know He's already working it all for your good. With thanks, God, thank you for this trial that's going to produce the character or the person of Christ in my life. Thank you that I can't handle this situation, this problem, this difficulty on my own. You're going to have to bring me through or I'm cooked. It's going to grow me in my faith. Your will, the way you work this out in my life, it's going to be for my good. Thank you. So you ask with thanksgiving. You may be tempted to say, well, I don't know that God really does care about you. I mean, I, if God's sovereign and he's going to do what he's going to do and, and he's going to work in me what he's going to work in me, if those are all the problems, well, then why, why would I bother to pray? Has anybody been, been tempted to think like that? I've been tempted to think like that so many times over my life. Like, what, why would it really matter? Why would, I, what, why would I really bother to pray? God doesn't really care about me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you his child? Are you a child of the living God? I mean, do you believe your Bible or not? I mean, if, 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 if you're a child of God, then stop calling God a liar and reckon that you are his concern. Guess what? I mean, you say, I don't think God cares about... No, he obsesses. I've learned from my Bible that God obsesses over me. He's absolutely focused on every detail of my life. Man, if I'd remember that, 
I'd have a lot less confidence in the flesh, I'll tell you that, if I'd remember that. Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He doesn't promise to supply all I want. He promises to supply all my need. And if I have need in my life, if God has collected my tears, if every tear I've ever wept, he has collected the evaporation of those tears, if I see, I mean, it's just one of these days, I'm going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to show me my tears, and he's going to show me the ledger of the hairs of my head, their number, moment by moment, which is a rapidly changing uh, scale, right? It's a rapidly changing number. And yet, he knows, I mean, he counts the hairs of my head. So moment by moment, I'm going to see that. And to think, right, that I, I mean, I mean, this God whose eye is on the sparrow that he's not going to watch over me, how ludicrous God is obsessing over you, right? He knows every detail, and he's not going to take care of what you need. Well, God didn't give me what I want, so all bets are off. If you got, I can't tell you how many times I begged God for something, and he said no, and in hindsight, I'm like, I'm a moron, thank you, Lord. Matthew 6 says it this way, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? All these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What you need, God will take care of. You just make sure you recognize your true need, and that's to grow closer to your God. So take, therefore, no thought, right? No thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know how you end up getting worked up with worry? You know how that happens, why you're worried, why you're anxious, why you don't really understand how to have a peaceful life? You know why that's you, if I'm talking to you? I mean, the answer is silly. It's kind of obnoxious, really. It's, a, it's spiritually stupid, but here it is. Here's why you don't have peace. Here's why you're anxious. You don't trust God. That's the bottom line. You just don't trust him. So here's the key. Stop doubting God and trust once for all that he has your life, your situation under control. So whatever pain or problem that you're experiencing, whether your rights have been violated all the way up to having to endure some great loss, trust that God is working it for good. Trust that. And then verse 7, here's the promise. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, dependence on God produces great peace. When God has it all, everything in and of your life, when he's driving, right, when he's calling the shots, when he's opening and shutting the doors of your life, when, even when you're going through a hard time, when you know that God is in control, when you know that God has your back, when you know, man, it's rough right now, but God's going to get me through this, man, that's peace. Because when a lost person, when a faithless person faces those same circumstances, they freak out. And you have the peace that passes all understanding. It don't make sense why this person has peace in the midst of their circumstances, but they do. It's because they trust God. You know what? You may be a very capable person. You may be tempted to think, I can handle my problems. God doesn't have to bother with it. No, I don't think that's the way it works. You may be very capable, but when was the last time 
you created a solar system. When was the last time you built a planet and put it in orbit and made sure the wobble was perfect so that it would have seasons and be perfectly distanced and ordered to sustain life? When was the last time you did that? I don't know about you, but I want that dude in charge of my life. Right? I don't, I mean, I know what I can do. <laughs> I can make a booger talk. Well, uh, that's not, that's not impressive. You're not as good as God. So get this down in your notes. A right focus will manifest itself in two ways. Anybody remember in living color? Anyone? I can make a booger talk. <laughs> uh, it was funny then. All right. A right focus manifests itself two ways, right thoughts and right actions. Okay, so now Paul's going to go next level, okay? Um, we're going to put the concept to work in our life. Look at verse 8. Uh, look at verse 8 and remember, did your grandma know enough or love you enough to tell you that an idle mind is the devil's workshop and idle hands are his tools? Did you hear that? Did you grow up hearing that? I, heard, I grew up hearing that from my grandma. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. Idle hands are his tools. See, we need right thoughts because we got to shut down Satan's shop, right? Finally, brethren, verse 8, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, and whatsoever things are just, and whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So, what is the true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good reporting things that we should be thinking about? Well, some men may look at this list and say, well, that's easy. That's, that's Miss October. I mean, whoa, no, dude, Miss October, what? whatsoever things are true. Yeah, no, it's true. She's fine. No, 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 dude. Whatsoever things are honest. Yeah, yeah, I know. Honestly, she's fine. No, 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 wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, just check her out, man. She's fine. Thank you, Jesus, for Miss October. Well, no, no, we're talking about things that are pure. I know. She looks like pure woman to me. Hallelujah, right? No, 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 look at what the Bible, whatsoever things are lovely. Oh, yeah, Miss October has redefined the word lovely. No, 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 dude, you don't say, things of good report. Well, the report is in. I already told you, she's fine. <laughs> okay, wait, Paul defines for you the true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and things of good report. Keep reading. If there be any what? Virtue. And if there be any what? praise, if you can give praise to God over these things, well, then think on those things, right? Think on these things. See, the things that, remember, you're not supposed to have any confidence in the flesh. The flesh has a list. Miss October's on it. We have no confidence in the flesh, do we? <laughs> I'm in the flesh, man. Don't even know how to think right. No, the things of virtue, the things of praise See, if all you can think about are the things, even the good things of this world, but things that have no virtue before the Lord or things that God's not in, Paul's point here is this. Why would you even waste time? Why would you even waste brain space thinking about it? Why do that? Mixed October. She's not right for you. Why? There's no virtue in her. There's nothing to give praise to God over in her. So get this down in your notes. You decide up front what your mind will be used for thinking about. You decide how you're going to think. You decide how you're going to use your mind. See, if you want to shut down Satan's workshop, Paul tells you that you got to take stock. you got to take inventory of everything that God's doing and then think about that. 
give your mind to that. You say, well, man, I got all kinds of crazy stuff popping into my mind all the time. Yeah, that's why your Bible tells you. I mean, check out what the Word says to the church at Corinth. We bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought needs to be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. Yeah, you're going to think crazy stuff, and there's no virtue or praise in it. Well, I'm not going to think about, well, I can't stop thinking about that. Direct your mind on the things of virtue and praise. Fill the shop with things of virtue and praise. You know, if God's people spent their time daydreaming about how to glorify God, how to serve Him, thinking about Miss October would seem kind of lame. She'd start feeling neglected in the stage of your mind. Satan would lose his room to work on your heart. And that's not giving place to the devil. Ephesians 4, 7, it's a command. Neither give place to the devil. Don't make room. Don't set up a vacancy sign so that Satan comes in and operates in your heart and your mind. Don't do that. That's written to Christians. Why? Because you can. You can give place to the devil. So don't fall for that. Don't do that. You decide what you think about. You say, I don't think I can do that. You did it in third grade, man. Come on, don't, don't kid me. You do it for your professors right now. You decide what you're going to think about. Why do you do it for your professor? Well, because he tests you, doesn't he? She tells you, hey, on Friday there's going to be a test. And so what does that do to you? That forces you to think about things that you would never otherwise think about. You see that? Don't you know the king's going to test you? Doesn't that motivate you? Isn't that going to force you to order your thoughts? I mean, if you can do that for your third grade teacher, you can do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't test you. Your third grade teacher didn't test you on Friday just to make sure your life sucked, to make sure you're miserable. Why did he do it? To make you miserable? No, to make you what? Smarter. To make you grow. That's why you were held accountable to think about those things. Well, it's the same thing. That's what we're talking about here. I hate to say it, but you know why sometimes God's people don't think right? It's because they're lazy. There's no discipline. They haven't trained their mind. So here's the key. Get this down in your notes. You get a mind that's trained to think right when you exercise it. Can I give you some homework in Jesus' name? Only will. Is willing to work. Will is, Will is the hardest working pastor I think I've ever met. Can I please, brothers and sisters, give you some homework? Um, it'll change your life. Every day, start thinking. Exercise how you're going to use your mental capacity for pure contemplation. In other words, know that there's a test coming. And how is our minds focused? Now, remember, the flesh has a list. Don't have any confidence in that agenda, Okay. All that's ever going to do is get you to, it'll either get you in trouble or it'll waste your life. Don't fall for that. No, you make decisions about how your mental capacity is going to be used. Is it going to be things of virtue and praise? If there's virtue, it's because you see how the Word of God is at work in your life. So think about that. If there's praise, it's because you see how the Word of God is at work in your life. So think about that. And then once you start exercising your mind proactively, I know that the test is coming, and so I'm going I'm to I'm gonna get those things from cover to cover in my Bible that are things of virtue and praise that God's got applied to my life. I'm going to think about those things and how they can all fall out to God's glory in my life. Then what's, what's, what you're thinking, right, the thinking in you, now it can come out of you. You know, if you don't plan your time, 
you end up living, right, in such a way that Satan now has opportunity to operate, right? An idle mind is the devil's workshop. Then idle hands are his tools. What's in your hand? What are you doing with your life? And so that's the rest of the homework. We're going to pick up verse 9 next week, but let me give you the cliff notes of verse 9. It's all about right actions. So those things which you both learned and received and heard and seen in me, what? Think on those things. Man, look at how God used my discipler. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) You can start there, but don't stop there. Those things what? Do, right? What's true, what you see ought to be true in you, and the God of peace shall be with you. Okay, those things. What was Paul putting out? Here's the cliff notes. Those things that you've learned. Okay, he taught them the book. He taught them the Word of God. Those things that you received, this life in Christ, those things that you have heard and seen in me, that discipler's lifestyle, do those things. You know, you're a part of something that's already rocking the nations for the glory of Christ. We were trusting God to plant a church in the hood that would rock the nations for the glory of Christ. Over and over again, we heard, nothing works at 40th and Walnut. Good luck with your project. Good luck with that. No, God is at work in his people. And if that doesn't get you fired up, man, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're a part of something that's going to matter for God's glory. I mean, for, for eternity. You are a part of something that is multiplying and shaking the nations for God's glory. And if that doesn't get you off your sanctified keister and in this book, if that doesn't get you off the list that the, the, the flesh has for your life and get you thinking and daydreaming about how God could use you to be a part of helping us to win souls and make disciples and train and equip people so that ministry can multiply around the world, then, man, I don't know what to tell you. Don't waste your life. Get the focus, right? Get your joy in the Lord. Get your mind right. Start thinking the things that God has given you to think about, things that, will tra- that God will use to transform you and put the life and the character of Christ in you, and then let God just use you. We'll look at that next time in Philippians chapter 4. Will you do it? How did Paul live his life? How did he do it? Well, he glorified God. And here's how he did it, man. He preached and he prayed. He invested. Who are you investing the Word of God in their life? Who are you praying over? Who are you trusting God for? How are you helping us in ministry in this place? From everything from cleaning to discipling, everything from security to to, to preaching, everything from, I mean, how is God using you to help a disciple-making ministry move forward? do those things. Father, I come to you right now in the precious name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that, that Father, they look and they see how you've called them, what you've called out over their lives. And I want to pray for them that some need to get their joy back. They need to start rejoicing. Some need to start thinking right. They need to, I mean, in some cases, just quit being lazy in other cases, it's an issue of repentance and, and the beginning of faith in their life. Lord, in other cases, uh, Lord, they need to start doing. They need to start living uh, the, 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 the Word. They need to start living the life that you've called them to. And so, Lord, you're worthy. Uh, you're worth it. You're worthy that we wouldn't just nod our heads, but, Lord, that we wouldn't just be hearers, 
but that we would be doers of your word. And so, God, I pray that all of this would fall out to your praise and to your glory today. In Jesus' name, amen.